guest, Matt McConkey. Hello, Dave Holmes. Uh, we just have to jump right into it because we just recorded a whole intro and then scrapped it because we got self-conscious, we because we, we were did. talking about a lot of visual things that no one we were. can enjoy. So We were. It's I'm an audio medium. Try to resist the... Te- you know, but it is your fault. I started because I just had to talk about your hair. Well, thanks. And I'll never turn down that conversation, but now I will. It's, it's like good. when... Um, Thank you. And your house is very good. Um, but it's like when uh, when like Paris Hilton would go on Letterman and get mad that he wouldn't let her talk about her perfume. Oh. It's like no, nobody's watching to hear you describe a smell. Yeah, we can't, no. we can't smell it. I would argue that some people are probably uh, listening to talk about your hair, but they that Instagram is the place for that. Uh, we'll just we'll do. Yeah, we'll do some market outreach. We'll we'll gauge the uh, the level of interest and we'll go from there. Um but there's so much to talk about. Okay, so uh, on this show, it's Evan Roskatz, who's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I believe that this was recorded in a time before. Um, before I had begun watching It's a Sin. Oh, yeah. And RuPaul's Drag Race UK. Oh, both of yeah. which we have oh, started in the last week. You've gone through major changes since we recorded this interview. Major changes in my life. Um, two shows that I knew I was going to love. Uh, two shows that you reinforced the, f- the fact that I was going to love. Um, I don't know why I was holding back on either of them, but I have. Uh, I, I am too into. We are too into. It's a sin. Of course, heartbreaking, beautiful, terrifying. Um, yeah. You know, uh, a story that I, I can't believe it's twenty twenty one, and and we're telling that story with that degree of detail and depth and. And, you know, queer centricity, it's fun. And of course, the soundtrack is insanely good. Um, Nothing could be more for you. No, I honestly, it was like they made it specifically for me. They pulled it out of my dreams. Um, And I know that also it's going to rip my heart out of my chest and uh, eat it in front of me. So we're we're taking our time with that. But in the meantime, RuPaul's Drag Race UK. Oh, holy God. Are are you caught up? Where are you? No, no. We watched one episode last night um, and uh, we we might get two in tonight. Like the the TV viewing time is limited because, you know, we're like we're busy. And then, you know, by nine o'clock, it's like we got to put on our sweatpants and go to bed. Exactly. So a maximum of two hours. Um, So we're one in. I have favorites. I would like to hear yours. Well, I don't. Look. It's the Bimini show, as far as I'm concerned. And it did disagree. take me a couple episodes. Bimini is only going to get better from here, from okay. where, where you are. Uh, yeah. There, and, um, and I love, love, love Tia Coffee. Uh, oh, like Tia Coffee's She's great. kind of messy and openly messy and self-deprecating and just so, so yeah. funny and lovable. Yeah. And uh, and I love Lawrence Cheney. Oh, of um, And I like, I forget her name but kind of the the little nerdy bow tie guy um who gets very glamorous yeah mm-hmm. i fe- i i fear that she is not built to last but i am enjoying her while she's here um i yeah i just really like them all and what really hit me watching the first one is this like all of these people would be in a like a british music magazine in the 80s or 90s they would be yeah. pop or rock stars you know what I mean? Like Bimini should be should be fronting an indie band in 1996. You know what I mean? Like 100%. all of the magazine, Q magazine would have had Bimini on the cover. You know, live and 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 kind of gender fluid and um, 
like all of these people are the colorful cultural characters that I have been missing in the last 15 or so years. And it's like, oh, they all went to drag. Yep. What, what Drag Race UK shows us is that all of the interesting people went right to drag. Um, and the UK gets it just right. The, so right. And, and the level of talent is, uh, is just staggering. You know, all mm-hmm. of them are so impressive and so funny. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's you, Paul, you, Paul, you, Paul's drag you Paul. race. You Paul's drag, Paul's drag race. race plus an accent. I mean, come on. Yeah. And plus, Perfect. you know, the, the weird, the, the different attitude towards pageantry and toward like the, the drag figure and, you know, and, you know, gender fluidity in, in popular culture and music and stuff like it's there. Um, not that they're a less repressed society. Cause we know that's not true, but they're, but they can approach drag from a, a different angle and it makes all the difference. It's yeah. you. You really, yeah. I'm, I'm stunned. However, I will tell you, nothing in "It's a Sin" terrified me more than the Chiron saying Joe Black thirty. Sorry, it, it, it's a, you. You you mean Drag Race? Yes. Oh, oh, oh I thought you meant it's a. You no, said it's a sin. No. And I'm like, wait, Joe Black is yeah, also in it. Nothing a from yeah, that yeah, show yeah, yeah. gave oh, me. I understand as much of a start as finding that the uh, our our beloved Joe Black was thirty. Earth years old. Shocking. Yes. Uh, forgive me for uh, being so late to catch up to that. But you're right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it does feel like Joe Black has lived a million lives. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And she, yeah. you know, she has, I guess, in a way. But, yeah. Packed a lot uh, into 30 years. You know, this does remind me, it's not at all related, but uh, we should just mention that there is a, a big homophilia announcement coming it mm-hmm. in, I'm going to say less than two weeks. Yeah, it's coming soon. It's coming very soon. Uh, we are so uh, excited about the next step in our in our evolution. Um, it's it, good stuff is happening. Um, oh, in the meantime, uh, Real World Homecoming. Did you watch? Oh, yes. I, they, I, I've only seen the first one. I don't know if there's more than one. There's only one out so far. I was thinking of you the entire time, and we Obviously. I think we I think we might have talked about this in the Evan interview as well, but uh what was your experience um it, it was uh I found it very emotional, surprisingly. I did not expect to um to get to feel as though I were at my own reunion yeah. um i I think everybody has held up well um i don't I'm pleased not to see any of them clinging to youth mm-hmm. um they they just seem to be they have arrived at, at middle age comfy um heather b continues to be one of the greatest personalities in television history absolutely um if if you have serious she has like a, a two at least shows a day on i think shade 45 and then i forget another channel um where it's you know it's her playing music and stuff but everything she has to say is Hilarious and great. She's, uh, she's I a love joy. Her. She's a joy. Um, ju- happy to see Julie, you know, uh, healthy, happy. She always was. Yep. Um, you know, uh, Eric. <sighs> Eric. Eric. I'm Your thoughts. so upset. It's like, you know, they were right that 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 season was marketed and sort of edited as the Julian Eric show and that no for better or worse, they were the center of it. And mm-hmm. 
I just don't know what do we have without Eric. I mean, I, people aren't right. watching. This is not even a spoiler. Eric mm-hmm. has COVID. He is not able to enter the house. They learn that mm-hmm. after they've all stepped in, and so he's joining yeah. us almost like in the circle or one of those shows. Yeah. shows. It's like he's on a screen, like locked mm-hmm. in a hotel room for the entirety of this time. It's like, yeah, he's so central to their dynamic. What it's, I just felt so disappointed. Well, but I, a couple things. First of all, I think that gives the rest of the personalities a bit of an opportunity to stretch out a bit. True. I'm, I'm interested to get to know an Andre a little bit better. Uh, a Becky, you know, they took a, a bit of a backseat at the beginning. Um, uh, Kevin, everything that Kevin said in season one has proven to be irrefutably true. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's a thing to explore. Um, I, okay, so about Eric... Here is my here is here are my thoughts about Eric. Um, you know he's uh, he's he's off he's he's got COVID, um, and he's in a sarong, and there's there are beads that have significance around his neck and wrists, and he and he says, um, you know, I haven't had drugs or alcohol in however many years, and which is great, but you know how like there's Cali sober. Um, oh, is, oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Which is like, I don't drink, but I smoke weed or whatever. Mm. I get a very strong like yurt sober vibe <laughs> from him where it's like he doesn't drink anymore or do like synthetic drugs, but definitely like ayahuasca and yeah. probably low dose mushrooms. Like he of having COVID, he says, I do feel something moving in my body. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So he's he's so aware of the the inner workings of his own body that he can feel the molecules bouncing around. Yeah. Um, he's uh, he's he's a trip. I, I do hope that it's a false positive and that he'll be able to join the gang. You know, you don't know what kind of twists and turns await us. That would be a dream. I'm not going to get my hopes up for it, but no, that's uh, wise. you're right. And it does, he would be an overpowering presence in the house and it, would. it will be good to, for the rest of them to shine a bit more. But yeah, mm-hmm. it did strike me that he said like he now works as like some type of healer and is healing yeah. others the way he, he was able to heal himself from addiction just mm-hmm. through, I guess the power of his, his mind uh, or something. He, yeah, or just a, a good. I think core strength has a lot to do with it, and uh, and you know, and hallucinogens that you can call medicine. I yeah. is my feeling. I don't know. That's just my feeling. Yeah, that um, sounds right. It, yeah, yeah. In the meantime, um, my old friend Mike Doty, uh, former lead singer, soul coughing, and then a solo artist, now has a new project called Ghost of Room. Um, is uh, is is an old neighbor of mine from New York. And years ago, we did a, a, a real world season one uh, rewatch podcast called True Story, T R U U S E O W R A Y. And so ever. we, it's fun. If you watch season two, you know the thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that is back up. We're doing a, a, a reunion mini series. Um, that is, that is up. We, um, it's, it's a, a lot of fun. He's a super funny guy. So if you, uh, if you want to go deeper onto, not to uh, be uh, 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 what's the word that I'm looking for here? Uh, plugging away. Oh, although if I'm no. plugging away, um, next Friday, March 19th, uh, via Dynasty Typewriter, uh, the Friday 40 is back um, with Colin Hanks, uh, Michelle Buteau, and musical guest Luke Null. 
Wow. Uh, follow me on Twitter and all that information is there. We had a really good time with Karen Kilgariff and Roy Wood Jr. and Christian Lee Hudson last month. It was a doozy. Uh, please join us. That is a dream lineup. It really is. It really is. Um, we, by the way, uh, before we move off the real world, we should have Norm on at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Norm, if you're listening, you are welcome on at any time. I am happy to in, and plug the adaptive desk as much as you feel you need to. Yeah. By the way, I think I need one. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, yeah. I mean, it was, it was originally designed for airplanes, which that, you know, that's, you gotta, you gotta be nimble in this world. Sure. So now it's just an adaptive desk. Um, but yeah, um, Evan Ross Katz is here, but before we get to him, folks, Yes. This is uh, you're hearing this hopefully on a Friday. Just yeah. please know that coming up on uh, this Sunday is a very special birthday for a mm. very special person. Oh. March 14th, oh. Dave Holmes yeah. is turning 50. I'm turning 50. I am turning 50 years old. Yeah. This is yeah. A, this is a shock only just because you just look and feel so much younger. Oh. Not just than your oh, age, thanks. but than me, than most oh, people that we know. It. Truly. You are the very picture truly. of health. My uh my secret in that regard was just looking like absolute shit in my 20s and 30s. So <laughs> um if you can if you can manage that, you can really um set the bar nice and low for later in life. But um I yeah, I'm turning 50 and I actually feel good about it. And I'm not, I don't think I'm just telling myself that either. I, I feel pretty good. I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's one of the last milestone birthdays, you know, 30s, 30s, a big one. 40s is like 40s, a big one. 50. It's like, OK, yeah, you know, this is OK. I'm I'm most of the way through this journey, the which rest I don't of like. Them, to, yeah, not going to be a them. big deal until 75. Sure. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I like where my life is. I don't, I don't think that it's, um, uh, that it is necessary to have a good 50 by trying to be 20 or 30. Yeah. You know, I think there is a, uh, a new way to attack middle age. Um, or maybe not, or maybe I'm just fooling myself and maybe I am as old as, as the 50 year olds were when I was uh, 16, but I'm, I'm happy. I feel good. I'm at a good place in life, uh, lockdown notwithstanding, and uh, and I'm grateful to be alive. Most importantly, you look better than ever, and I just have oh, to thank you. come back to that because we know that that thank is you. what it's all about, and that is the thing that makes aging easier. Is oh. uh, if you happen to be one of those people who who literally gets better with age, again, know, it's not going to be such a painful process. Again, honestly, just like pollute yourself when you're when you're young and then you truly like you can't help but clear the bar later in life. That is my advice to our younger listeners. Just really, really trash yourself. And then honestly, like you'll hit 40 and you'll start taking care of yourself and people will be like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's not it's not that you look good. It's just that you look better. That's well, my advice. Take it's it great advice. It's great advice. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you. I, I mean, I guess I should I should take it. But. I also think you, that no, it's too late. I will you be, would look good forever. I, I have it, and that's very kind. But I, I, I'll be shocked if I'm 50 and even recognizable at that point. If you know what I mean, because I'll okay. be getting okay. yanked every which way okay. between now okay. and then. Because not okay. all of us have uh, the DNA Stop. of Dave Holmes. Okay. Stop. Stop. There's a th- there's a th- there's a thing on the on the. 
you know, with neck growth that I might want to address. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm there with you. We'll see what happens in, in, the, in the immediate years to come. Anyway, that's that. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Evan Ross Katz. Evan Ross is here. He's here. And uh, I mean, truly needs no introduction. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you're already following him on social media. He is, uh, I don't know what his title is in gay Twitter, if he's on the board or if he's a founding member, but he is an an important voice in the gay Twitter Uh universe Uh and a writer and editor. He has an amazing podcast called Shut Up Evan, which is the one thing that we don't want him to do because never talk. Never, never. No, he's he is great, and I think you're going to love him. Evan Ross Katz. Evan Ross Katz is here. <gasps> Hello. Looking so fresh. Wearing what is, I believe, a Sean Cody t-shirt? Is that Sean the- Cody. Yeah, I was going to wear a men.com shirt, but I was like, I don't really want to be like, you know, have like the word men across my shirt. Um, just because without context sure. of it being the gay porn studio, it's a little yeah. too patriarchal. So uh, sure. Sean Cody felt more specific. Yeah, that's really for the for the real for the real heads. Real heads know. Yeah. So and are you how does one come by a Sean is there a merch section of the Sean Cody website or you just sent one because you know, you're Evan Ross Katz. Or- um, I feel like several years ago before Sean Cody had like an active social media brand. And even now I kind of use air quotes when I say that because their brand is quite chaotic on social. But I was someone that would just tweet a lot about kind of like the old. And for people that don't know, Sean Cody is a gay porn studio that was once really, really uh, delivered quality gay pornography and then has kind of just fell into a pit of, you know, just the same old, same old. But um um, I was someone that Thank used you to for clarifying. I didn't know that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to clarify. I was not familiar. Fair. <laughs> Continue. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't blame you for not being familiar. Um, and uh, so I just would tweet about some of the, you know, the old hits from the past. Uh, and I think that they saw that and then sent me this. I don't know if it's like official merch, but I also don't know if there is an audience for actual merch. So it might just be I a mean, one-off. That's, I, I want it. I want it. I covet it. <laughs> and, um, you know, an hour of solid Sean Cody talk is the reason you're here. So let's let's not waste another moment. Let's jump right in. Favorite performers. Favorite performers. Are you, you want me to really answer that? I want you to really answer that, yeah. Okay. Um, I would say my favorite performers of all time would probably be Patrick from back in the day. Okay. okay. And then Calvin right. from back oh, in the day. I don't day. know Calvin. Uh, Calvin, it's, I was going to say worth looking up, but I do want to add the caveat that Sean Cody has wiped all of their old content um, what? from yeah from like 2009 to 2015. If anyone's really interested in this, straightupgayporn.com has been following this, and there is some sort of sketchiness at play about the company that owns Sean Cody and like why these videos might not be there and all of this stuff. But yes, the the I would say two thirds of Sean Cody's content has been wiped from the internet as oh, of no. now. Yeah. But. The great thing about living in 2021 is that nothing's ever really gone, uh, which I guess is also the terrible right. thing about living in 2021. Yes, absolutely. It's true. Um, so you can find these things. I am with you on Patrick. Patrick was next level. Yeah, really um, talented and uh, consistent. There was a consistency in his work. You're absolutely right, Evan. Yeah. Um, my all-time favorite is um, uh, Vintage Zach. 
Absolutely. I know exactly Absolutely. who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, you do. Yep. Yes. Yeah. There's a news act. Not as great. I, I honestly, I have not looked at Sean Cody in a long time because I just, I don't know if it was getting older, if I outgrew it, whatever. Maybe, maybe it was the brand just suffering. Um, but yeah, but the old, my, my Sean Cody heydays are, are all Zach. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that pornography has changed wildly because of the onset of the internet but i think back in the day what what appealed about it for me was the idea of like this corn-fed southern boy coming to los angeles had never been on a plane before got flown out and was given 500 dollars to jerk off on camera these days and i don't say this with uh any sort of judgment it's just recognizing the change of of the world as as it exists but these days people are just more you know, dick pics are more common. Filming oneself is a lot easier. Everyone's got a yeah. camera on their phone. It sort of lost a luster, a particular luster that appealed to me about that genre of porn. Um, I'm not right. saying porn has gone downhill, but I just think that it was uh, there was less supply and therefore more demand. Right. And there were some, it teetered, Sean Cody, it always teetered into a little bit of like, um, is this okay to be watching this? Like, is yes. this... This person is not always visibly having the best time. Yes. And that always made me feel gross. Zach loved it. His love of the medium came through in every frame. That's how ethically I worked yeah. that problem out. Can I say one Patrick more thing about well. this? Just because we're talking about it. You can say uh, an endless amount of more things about this. There is just, to your point about sort of like that discomfort sometimes, there was this this specific sensation that I don't think you get in porn anymore, which was a straight guy experiencing gay sex on camera for the first time ever and loving it. And it wasn't right. in every video. I would say it was like one in every 10 videos. But yeah. that specific look on their face... Uh, you just don't get that anymore. And when you got it, my God, it was good. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Again, again, that's pure Zach. And, and it was, uh, when you got it, it was authentic, I'm assuming. I mean, we, we, we can't credit any of these guys with being good enough actors to pull it off. No, it I don't think so. It felt really authentic. And also just given the brand, uh, yeah, it, it just felt like they kind of went in there. And again, it was like, for a lot of these guys, like I said, they'd never been on a plane before. They'd never been to California. $500 was a lot of money, especially given the task at hand. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it it was sort of agreed upon. It's like, okay, I'll do this, fine, whatever. And then you see like those first couple minutes of like, mm, like figuring out, oh, I can pretend it's a woman, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. sometimes that thing around like the seven minute mark of like i not only like this I mean, it's, at first it's like okay i'm okay with this then it moves into i like this and then you know nine minute ten minute eleven minute my fucking god i never want this to end really quality really really uh important and, and formative formative wow. yeah quality content and you know that like each model when they came in in the glory days was just you know they they just arrived in their jeep and you know um fucking uh I don't know, something corporate was playing on the on the tape deck or something, you know, some early, I don't know, sublime or something. Just, you know, it was a, it was a puka shell. It yeah. was a cargo short. Yep. It was Chumbawamba. Uh, frosted yeah. tips. Chumbawamba. Yeah, it was a real, it was a real moment in time. It was. That's I'm glad lost. that we uh, not only spoke of this, but kicked off the, the conversation with this topic. Absolutely. It feels important. Absolutely. Yes, we have set the tone uh, properly. Uh, yeah. And, and we could talk about this all day, but there is so much in the non-porn realm I want to ask you about. 
because you know we always start off asking people what they're watching but <laughs> you as a connoisseur I, I i'm sure it's i'm sure it's a hard thing to answer i guess my question is what are your some of your favorite things you've seen during the pandemic mm. i would say like lately i really like being late to something in general so like for mm. instance i just started the flight attendant and i'm enjoying okay. it so mm. much because there's no more discourse about it online so it feels a little bit more all my own it's kind of like i anticipate i will watch wandavision in a couple of months it's just i guess like my tendency and this is not necessarily a good thing but when something's really popular i'm immediately kind of kind of turned off by it because you know i grew up at a time when like queer was subversive and so it, the idea of like everyone loving on something to me inherently sets off some kind of red flag despite the fact that it, i'm sure it's amazing and i'm sure i will love it so the kind of things that i've discovered have been a lot of the things that are popular but just i've been late to them but by choice so I would say I care a lot is definitely like the piece of film or television that I've watched that has stayed with me the longest. Um, but I would say the thing that I've been like dedicated the most time to has been Survivor. Um, I started wow. on cool. season one in February, pre-pandemic, and I just watched the premiere of season 25 last night. So that's kind of how far, far in I've gotten. Wow. You are not the first, nor even the second guest that we have had since COVID-19 to say that exact thing. The full Survivor rewatch seems to be a popular pursuit. There's something, there's a lot going on on the show, both by intent and then sort of just by design. Um, And I have just been so endeared to watching this reality show because, you know, obviously it began in 2000. Not obviously. It began in 2000. It was one of, like, the early reality competition shows. And right now I'm on season 25, so I think I'm, like, somewhere in, like, 2014, 2015. So Mm -hmm. even watching things like the development of the cell phone via Survivor, because in the beginning there was no cell phone, right? It's like, and then you sort of see, like, as they introduce, like, the original cell phone, and then there's a camera phone where they're all, like, and then the phone was there at one point and then now they're into like the iphone so just things like that and then the other thing about it that i find really interesting is just uh the way in which the show grapples with people from all different walks of life coming together so not just people of color not just queer people not just differently abled people but just people from totally different existences you know parts of the country economic uh you know what they make for what they make where they come from their Mm -hmm. religions etc it's just you know 16 people or 18, 20 sometimes on an island to me, game aside, I'm already hooked. And then you add in the game and then I'm just like, and and because of the game, it never gets old. So 25 seasons in, I only have 15 regular seasons left. And like, I'm devastated at the thought of it being over. What is your relationship with Jeff Probst? Icon. Um, misogynist. Hmm. Um, oh, I would say he's not someone that I would be friends with. He's not someone I particularly would want to have dinner with. I don't have a lot of outstanding questions for Jeff the way I do with like a RuPaul. Um, But I do think that when it comes to the job of hosting a show, which is something I have a great amount of respect for, he is 
absolutely terrific. Like he knows how to hit his mark. He knows the questions to ask. He's articulate. He's never long-winded. He's enthusiastic. There are times, especially in the more recent seasons, where I'll see him sort of like make comments to a player mid-competition about how they're not doing well and how they haven't done well in any of the competitions this season that I find offensive because more often than not, they are directed at women. So there's Mm. certainly like aspects of his personality that I think could be unpacked and examined. But on the whole, I think he is just someone who is really terrific at doing a job that never wavers. The reason I ask is I have always had such a, I guess, an aversion to him. And I think it is because he reminds me a lot. He's eerily similar to uh, a uh, old, uh, gym coach from like seventh grade, Mr. Wright, who um, was also like also taught history. And I, I remember on the first day taking attendance and when they got to me, um, he goes, Mr. McConkie, you play football. And all of these guys in the in the room, like audibly laughed and he didn't understand why. And he because he hadn't heard me talk yet. And he was like, well, I don't understand. You're a big boy. And that has stayed with me for the rest of my life. But but Jeff Probst just has this, like, I, I, I feel like I would disappoint mm. him. Yeah, and I mean, he definitely you know? idolizes the prototypical, masculine, physically dominant guys in the game. Fortunately, though, enough of that archetype gets booted quite quickly, quite often, because people sense that that, that, that person is a threat. And so... Although he favors that type of player, that sort of bully that that you sort of speak of, those bullies don't do well often, which I find really satisfying as a viewer. What's your uh, What's your Chris Harrison take at the moment? <sighs> I don't follow Bachelor like Nation very much. I'm a Bravo mm-hmm. person. I feel like typically mm-hmm. you're Bravo or Bachelor. Uh, my mm-hmm. from just you know the top line of everything I've read about it, I find him. It, it's not surprising. And so I just, what does surprise me is his willingness to speak about this at all, um, knowing that he was not equipped to have this conversation. Like, this is clearly something that I recognize has come up a lot with the Bachelor franchise, the lack of people of color on the show, um, the lack mm-hmm. of the lack of black bachelors, the lack of black bachelorettes. So the idea that he would go on this podcast and be, and obviously I would expect that he would think that he was going to be asked about this as it's been a hot topic in Bachelor Universe. The fact that he'd be so ill-equipped in his response, um, not great. And then I, one other thing is just his response in which it sort of was like, this would have been acceptable several years ago, kind of shows just the depths of his, his ignorance. Right. But I will say with all these people being like, fire Chris Harrison, again, this reminds me of Jeff Probst. It's like, well, what did you expect were you expecting right. Chris Harrison to be this like overwhelmingly like nuanced and like smart guy? I wasn't. So as as sure. disappointing as I think his response was, I do wonder sometimes why we have this expectation that someone that is the host of a show called The Bachelor um, and a show that is perceived by someone like me who doesn't watch it to be rather kind of antiquated, um, yeah. why we would expect him to be someone who would speak eloquently about race in 2021. Yeah, yeah. Because you are a Bravo person, I, I mean, again, we could spend all day on this. I guess one thing I would love to ask you about in the 
Housewives multiverse. I have been on a tear. I mean, I know a lot of people are fired up about this, but just about the politics of of certain housewives and 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 I guess what do you think are the ethics or what is the responsibility of a network that is essentially for women and queer people when it comes to, you know, giving a platform to members of a party that hates women and queer mm. people. Yeah, this is such an interesting topic. I, I don't know where I come down on it. I'm, I am I know that I'm fascinated by the conversation about it, and I feel like I can kind of waver depending on how strong an argument comes out that will sort of convince me. I would say that this is a show that was built from, from conception around bad human beings. You know, I think back upon, I, I believe it's season one or season two of OC with Vicky freaking out about uh, the minivan, right? Like that she wanted, that she couldn't believe mm-hmm. that they would send a minivan for her kids to go on this vacation. She was like outraged by that. And so I think, again, this kind of reminds me of the Chris Harrison thing I was just saying, where it's like, I always am a little bit surprised when people get outraged by these housewives doing bad things, you know, saying, I think COVID is a hoax, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that feels very aligned with my expectation of a housewife. And when I say housewife, I don't mean, I mean housewife within within the framework of this show. Yeah. Right. Yes. So I guess more than I, it, anything, I, yeah, go I ahead. forgot that there was another meaning. Sorry. I really did. I was like, what? what oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so I, I, I guess for me, I am surprised more often than not by like the voraciousness of the fandom with how ignited we, and I use the we because I, I'm guilty of it at times, how voracious we get around these things like who we want fired and, and mad at the network for doing these things when the show's been the way it's been for a long time and pretty unflappable in in that that you know how it exists. So yeah, I mean like do I want someone like Kelly Dodd fired? Yes. Will I tweet in response to her and and say I want her fired? Yes. But like am I mad that more than likely Bravo will not fire her? No, I just think the things that I get mad about in 2021 that doesn't meet the that doesn't meet the bar. Catch me up. What did Kelly right. Dodd do? I mean, where yeah, do we I mean, get? I would say, I mean, well, is there a recent thing or just a general, just a general yeah, dogness? Mean, she called COVID uh, a thinning of the herd in the beginning. She's been vehemently anti-mask. Um, and then she's oh, just, God. her comments about race are so expansive and disgusting. It, it, we, we could do a whole dissertation about sort of like Kelly's uh, lack of awareness around the racial politics of mm-hmm. of society. So yeah, I mean, I would say, but honestly, like top line, Kelly Dodd's dumb. She's a dumb human. So again, it's like, what expectations do we place upon dumb people to act in smart ways? I don't place a lot of that. Um, So I think that more than anything, I'm just fascinated by like the machinations of the fandom and how worked up we, again, we get about these things. Um, It's kind of interesting, right? Yeah, it's true. I, 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 I'm very guilty of it. I'm like, when I think about Lisa Barlow being a Ted Cruz supporter in 2016, like my, right now I can feel heat in my face. I I have so much rage toward her. Um, But you're right. In a way, they're doing their job. They're delivering on the promise of the premise by being terrible people. But I also, but I I do feel like post-Trump, maybe we raise the bar a little bit. It's like, Heather Gay is a perfect housewife and she's smart and she votes correctly and she uh, is a member of the Britney army. 
you know, she, she's doing all of the things right. I think a lot of them could, you know, take note. Yeah, I guess what it comes down to for me, like, beyond even Housewives, it's kind of like the people that we see on our television screens. And again, to your point, it's like, are we in a new, is this a new era now that we're in sort of a, a Biden's America and we have the last, you know, not even just four years, we have a lot of years to look back upon it about sort of bad decisions in terms of uh, the people that we've put on television. I guess the question sort of is, it's like, are bad and or dumb people who are entertaining um, worthy of giving a platform? And the other question is, it's like, is something like Housewives a platform? I think it's easy to argue yes, because, you know, you can launch brands and make a lot of money. But my question is, like, is a housewife, is a... uh, more often than not, I think housewives are the butt of a joke when it comes to the brands they create. I think that the Bethany's of the world are more the outliers um, within all of that. Yeah. I guess um, I guess I'm wondering the same thing as you, though, when it comes down to it. It's like, do you know, when I see like the Ted Cruz supporters, for instance, I don't know how to feel. Um, all I know is that I'm not surprised. That's where I've landed with it is like surprise yeah. is the emotion I'm past. Yes, yes. Mm. I got to get past it, too. And in, in the meantime, uh, what is passing for actual entertainment and news is equally dumb. We do have like our most watched cable news network in primetime is literally just people asking questions like, it, you know, do you have to wear a mask and is COVID a hoax and, um, you know, is China trying to kill us and just all these things that they skirt regulations by just being like, well, we're just asking or Tucker Carlson the other night saying like, well, we looked for uh, QAnon's website and there isn't one. So that means it's not real. And it's like, well, that's fucking dumb, too. Like, so there sure. so a, a Kelly Dodd or a whatever can feel very empowered being like, well, I have a platform. I should, you know, say totally. whatever the fuck comes into my mind as well. And to your point, it's like, I think a lot about The View, right? Which is like a right. new show and an entertainment show. And I look at sort of when The View sort of permeates The View watchers. So I know like the most recent example, there's probably an even more recent one because it's that much of a hot topic beyond the show. But I know like um, on, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday, Megan was sort of like condemning Dr. Fauci. And that became like oh. a, a big story on Twitter. Um and the question sort of becomes like more than zooming in at the the show and sort of what was being talked about and the four other women on the panel who were not in agreement with Megan, people took that and then they also took that as a bigger moment to like bash on Megan, which they always do, which I don't have a lot of opinions about that sort of its own that's its own thing, but it's interesting watching that show because on the one hand, there's a faction of the audience that looks as looks to it as a dissemination of news, right? Who wakes up in the morning at 11 a.m. and says, oh, like, what are the women of The View talking about? What's relevant right now in the country? And then there's a whole set of people somewhere like Twitter that are like, oh my God, Meghan McCain's makeup today is fucking crazy. Um, and it's interesting to sort of wonder both of those those things are a net positive for the show, right? Both of those things get people talking, um, but it sort of makes me wonder. It's like these shows, uh, are they news? Are they entertainment? Can you be both? And whether or not, even if the answer to that question is no, you still have these shows like The View functioning as both. And what does that mean? Do you have anyone in your immediate circle or family or, you know, friends from high school who are Fox News people, Trump supporters, anybody that you're sort of like interfacing with on any, you know, with any regularity. 
Not really, but I do have people in my life who are like kind of constantly questioning people that I like people like AOC, for instance, I have family members who will all post something because I am very, very pro AOC and I'll post something and they'll kind of do this like constant devil's advocate work that feels very, I'm trying to understand like the genesis of their thought process um, because I always come from the place with regards to people that don't agree with me. Um, I want to do my best to understand where they're coming from, you know, to have a productive conversation about it. And, and I'm very open to like my opinion uh, changing, but it feels like more often than not, it's like disagreement for the sake of disagreement it kind of makes me think about what i said earlier about how like i don't want to watch these shows now because everyone's talking about them i need to be you know uh, i'm too yeah. cool um so i do think there's that sort of tendency in people um to sort of be against the the grain and to some people they see aoc as the grain which is so funny because to me it's like i see aoc as being as her, the embodiment of being against the grain but there's a lot of right. I encounter with my family or 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 people a lot of people from like my childhood um, less of like the Fox News set and more of just like the challenging the kind of news sources that I look to or the politicians that I try and champion. Yeah, when it comes to I think all all members of the squad, there's often this sense that it's like you know people just can't stand them. They can't quite put their finger on what it is. And it's like, I have a couple ideas <laughs> yeah. about what it might yeah. be. Yeah. It reminds me um, when, so I, I don't know if you both are following all of the news coming out of like the Buffy verse, but um, several of the actresses came out several weeks ago with allegations about the creator of Buffy. And I was in conversation with a family member about it. And he said to me, you know, this show is, it's like 20 years old. Why is she coming forward now? And I said to this family member, I said, why is that your reaction? Like, let's interrogate that for a second. Um, and why do you not read more into her statement and try and uh, take to task the man that she's calling out? Why is it questioning the woman's intention? Um, so uh, in those sorts of conversations, I always try and, my tactic is often to try and get them to examine sort of the source of uh, their uh, fast-generated opinion um, yeah. and kind of excavate the underlying, more often than not, misogyny. Yeah, I have one Woody Allen defender in my uh -huh. life who I love, and and it really just comes down to like his films being so formative for him and not being able to let that go. But because of that, he's gone so far down the, you know, there are essentially two camps in that it really just shakes out to that there is Mia and Dylan Farrow, of course, and Ronan and like six other children who all are, you know, telling the truth. And then there is Woody and Sunni and Moses. And for whatever reason, you know, this person tends to believe their side. And the big argument is like, even if you look in the like the DSM about disorders based on, you know, his attraction to Sunni, he would fall into the category of someone who was maybe attracted to adolescents, but not children, which is it was like this. The argument is essentially like he couldn't have done it because he's not that kind of predator. He's this kind of predator. And it's like this is the flimsiest argument in the world. But it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, why is your reaction that? there must be an explanation for why this woman is lying. Right. 
as opposed to just examining what she's saying. There was a um, there was a piece in uh, not that I ever read the New York Post, but it came up in our work Slack. You know, Andrea Pizer from the New York Post, mm-hmm. just like the dumbest. You know, just you know, she has a reaction and writes a thousand words about it and puts it up immediately, and it's sure it's just the, yeah. it's the dumbest one always. Um, but yeah, her her thing was you know. Uh, she's, you know, Mia Farrow's lying and I know she's lying because 20 years ago, you know, in court, she talked about this conversation that she had with Sun Yi and said that it was, um, you know, sort of pleasant. And then, you know, in this thing, she says that it was difficult, which is it, Mia? It's like, okay, well, fucking it's both probably like that was a time of trauma for them both. They were trying to get through it. These things are layered and complicated. Um, and then I, I looked at the, like, more from Andrea Pizer, and it was just, um, yeah, Bruce Springsteen, uh, his new stuff isn't very good. Um, Ken Jennings, you'll never be Alex Trebek. Uh, Hilaria, you like Spain so much? Why don't you live there? Like, the <laughs> dumbest. It, like, if they pay her anything, she's robbing them. Anyway, haven't seen that yet, because I'm too afraid to watch it. Not that I'm like a Woody Allen guy. I just, I know it's going to disturb me in a way that I am not ready to be disturbed. Not the point, but I I just watched the first episode and I just was so struck, again, not the point, how beautiful Mia Farrow looks. And it was such a reminder that we so seldom see people in Hollywood just age. It's just something we don't often see because more often than not, because of the societies that pressure puts on people in Hollywood, predominantly women, um, you know, surgeries of some kind, you know, just become sort of the norm. And just seeing someone who is so stunningly beautiful and so um, just, for lack of a better word, natural looking, um, I was really struck by that and just how much emotion she's able to convey in her face because of that lack of work. Um, that mm-hmm. was one of my key takeaways from listening to, listening to her talk, just how much emotion, and I think a lot of that too, it's probably why she's such a phenomenal actress, um, but just everything that comes out of her face. Um, y- you could have the, the, the documentary on mute um, without captions, and you would still get everything you needed because her face is that evocative. Yeah. yeah. I know it struck me too, you know, and I, it just made me think, well, there's her her beauty is is such a big part of the story because it's such a i mean there is her talent of course but she, this is someone who was just you know so genetically blessed that she casts a spell on screen and the world fell in love with her powerful men fell in love with her and uh and then we all know what happened You know, entertainment consumption aside, what is what is your self care been like through this nightmare? Hmm. I've been really lucky that my partner and I, kind of early on, I think it was like May, um, had the foresight to convince. To, we're both convinced that this was going to be the situation for a long time, and uh, we are lucky enough to be in a position to 
get out of the city, you know, because that really is like not everyone is afforded that sort of uh, opportunity, not not opportunity, is afforded the ability to do that, right? And so we went on Airbnb very quickly. We were like, let's just get out where what we care about is not where we're going, but the actual house itself. We were like, we'll go, you know, anywhere. And so We've been out of the city now, I think, like seven months. Uh, we've kind of been bopping around. Right now, we're in Kingston, New York. But I think that my self-care has really been removing myself from the city um, and the grind of the city and being able to spend more time outdoors and kind of make things like hiking and morning walks part of the routine. But I think that one thing that I, I had become so normal to me just from living in New York for 15 years was just like, Waking up every morning, walking out the door and seeing a hundred people, you know, whether it be people walking on the street, in line for coffee, all of this stuff, always the hustle and bustle, always the the sound of the cars, all of that noise. Um, And I don't think I realize like the impact that that has on one's mental health, not always for the negative, but just it it, it impacts you, right? It, It wakes you up in a really specific way. And being here and experiencing this level of solitude and also like the solitude like in the long game, right? So it's like that quiet morning, I've had that before, like on a vacation or whatever. And it's like that solitude um, has become the norm. So a lot of my self-care has just been learning, learning to slow down and then also like learning that like this pace is not temporary. Um it's not forever, but it's not temporary. And it took me a little while to be like, oh, I'm like, we're doing like weekend in the country. It was really cute in the beginning. And then it sort of started to become real life. And so, yeah, I would say like my self-care has just really been embracing um, the stillness up here and and the uh, and really falling in love with it. So is there a, a, a rural future for you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm really curious. I think as a lot of people are, it's like, what do these big cities look like in a post COVID world? And obviously like, you know, who's to know right now? I'll talk to people in like real estate who are like, we're going to see this boom in big cities like we've never seen before. And I keep trying to remind myself that there is no precedent for any of this. So any sort of like conjecture about like what the future looks like is kind of void. I think particularly about like the second spike in COVID and how there was that moment I remember like around, I think it was like July, August when things were really looking good and, you know, we started to imagine the future and then, you know, you all know what happened. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, so yes, I think that there is definitely that world, but I think more than anything, I have enjoyed the luxury of being able to take things. You know, we've been doing these three month rentals. So it's like life for the time being has sort of existed in three month chunks. We're coming up to the end of the current one and kind of having to make that decision of whether or not to be back in the city. And I have this desire to be back in the city but it's kind of like I've been questioning, like, like for what? You know, like, yeah, I, right. I guess I'm sort of wondering why I thought I had kind of gotten over that. And what I realized is I there's a world in which I go back to the city and all of this, all of the, the stillness that I spoke of could leave my body. And I don't want it to. So I right now I'm sort of figuring out what the next step is. Um and I don't know. I don't know. But I definitely know that I don't want this to be like that year in my life. I want this to be the year that I made a discovery about the life I want to live, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
And yeah. COVID has got to have changed in some way, although you can't really know, the places where you're staying. Like there is a, a Hallmark Channel bustling, you know, small town life going on. There is the quirky, you know, bookstore owner. There is the the fun coffee shop. You just haven't had access to them, maybe. Absolutely. And also, I think one thing will be open to you when it all comes back. Completely. And I think one thing that I had not had ever that has been like a big uh, discovery is having like a big kitchen that you can like congregate in. So cooking in New York City, I think for a lot of people that live in New York City or or live any place where they have a small kitchen can relate to this. Cooking is often like necessity. It's like get into the kitchen because you gotta you gotta make something and then get out. And having this kitchen that we have here, it's been so nice because we can congregate in the kitchen. We can sort of you know it reminds me. It's like that kitchen in the Family Stone that I love so much. Um, it's just like a kitchen that we can be in and we can make memories and we can cook. We oh, we have this thing like we can cook now and then eat the food at the in the kitchen just like standing around the the little bank area thing yeah and like stuff like that um again it's like i've always enjoyed cooking but having the space to do it just like your your paradigm shifts so easily having a bedroom for instance that's more than just the bed and a dresser and a closet um where you can like fit a desk in these things like they they are just so impactful having a bathroom with a window huge huge like Yeah. yeah Oh, sounds like a dream. So you mentioned your partner. Tell us everything. Uh, I guess starting with how you met. We met on Grindr um, three years ago. I was like doing these videos through my work at the time on YouTube where I would like interview LGBTQ plus um, celebs, but like mostly RuPaul's Drag Race queens. And he is a drag queen himself. And so he had been watching my videos. And so he messaged me. His opening line was, big fan of your work. Uh, We always joke about that now. Um, But then like Mm. we met up uh, for a one night stand. And then it became, you know, let's meet up again. Let's meet up again. And then by three weeks in, I was meeting his parents. Oh, wow. Yeah, it happened really quickly and really organically. And and again, like one of the funny things about COVID is it's like we so we've been together now. It'll be three years this summer. But like we weren't in we were not at the stage of moving in together. Um, But this pandemic sort of, you know, again, May, we were around May and we're like thinking about what we're going to do next. And it forced all of these circumstances on you. And again, talking about the future, it's like, well, we're not going to, like, go back to not living together now. Like, we've done it now for all these months, and and fortunately, it worked out really well. But that's just an example of, like, how much life changed as a result of this in a way that, like, it, it fundamentally, like, changed the trajectory of my relationship. And I think a lot of people I've heard have been dealing with this with their relationships is, like, it either makes you much closer or repel one another uh, much, much more. And And, yeah. and luckily, you know, for now, I, you know, I could come tomorrow. I could, you know, feel differently. But um, it's brought us like much closer together. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was one of the funny things is like, and suddenly it's like our relationship. Like right now, we spend time looking at real estate and just all of these things that had never come into play, you know. And and I don't know if they would have at the two and two year mark that we were at at the time. Um, thanks, COVID. How is uh, your boyfriend scratching his performance itch? 
So he's lucky. So he is um, he's a coder with Google. That's like his his day job. Oh. And so oh. what he does, his drag Steady. name is Anna. Yeah, yeah, it's very. Uh, his drag name is Analytical, and so what he does is his mission is to get more LGBTQ. Excuse me. His mission is to get more LGBTQ plus people into coding. So, like a good example of this within the coding world, something I knew nothing about is when you go onto a website and it asks for gender um, identity, and more often than not, you'll see two options. Um, and this is something that is a really easy fix on the back end in terms of offering more gender expression options. Um, and that's the kind of thing that he is trying to get more queer people into things like that, because there's little fixes like that that allow a whole marginalized population to feel more seen, more validated. That's actually a really easy thing to do if you're in in his his line of work um and there's just not enough people queer people in the tech world in general so his kind of whole thing is teaching and empowering queer people to get into tech also not for nothing tech more often than not pays really well and so he wants queer people to have a profession in which they can potentially make money um, and enjoy what they're doing and, and fall in love with tech so a lot of his drag is is basically him teaching words I, I wouldn't need languages I don't even know exist Java all of these things but he does these live streams with people and so it's very much combining um, it's like the education but sort of drag is the construct right uh, but then the sort of takeaway it's less like you know lip sync for your life and more like teaching people how to code um, something I know nothing about but I'm really fascinated by and I see people Again, I don't speak the language, but I see people react to him online and, and how much he gets people excited about technology. And that's really cool because I just am really inspired by how much how much he cares about other people within the industry. It's not really um, it's not about making him the center of what he does. It's really about spreading the knowledge that he has to others. Wow. Okay, so he's saving the world is how he's scratching his performance edge. Okay, yeah, cool. Not what I'm Good. doing. <laughs> Good. So what, what was it that made it not more than a one-night stand? Did you know then? Was it, What was it about you or about him or about that first time together? I think like one of the things, fortunately for us, is it always felt really easy. Um, I, had, I had been in several relationships, but never anyone as serious as this. And it always just felt like a little bit more work. Um, so that was like one thing was just how, like, you know, I mentioned like meeting the parents three weeks in. That didn't feel like a monumental event. It just kind of, it. he asked me to do it. We did it. And it just sort of, so we just had these sort of, what would be considered, I guess, more milestones in a traditional relationship that felt really, really comfortable. Um, and then also, like, we... This is sounds corny, and I guess I don't mean it. I mean, I guess it is corny, but, like, we really just do make each other laugh, like, quite a bit. And we're really... One thing that I think he's probably taught me to be better at is, like... Because we fight all the time. But we're really good at, like, deflating our fights. So, like, we'll have some... Blow like, I got mad at him earlier because he was, like, trying to help me put files in a Google Drive. And I had, you know, I had no patience. And... And then, like, and then so he, like, walked out of the room and, like, we had our little, you know, performative, like, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at you. Um, and then 10 minutes later, 
I'd send him a text. I was like, I'm so sorry for being short with you earlier. He came downstairs and he made me, made me my little pinwheel sandwiches for lunch that he does. Um, but it's just one of those things where it felt really natural to both fight, to like um, the, the incline and the decline both felt really natural. And I think in relationships previously, I was always really good at the incline, but never quite knew how to decline. And I just think that like our ability to... Um, not hold on to things has has really kept it strong and made me know um that he's the one he had me at those pinwheel sandwiches so good you know we've been putting um microgreens on them i'm really into microgreens right now and it just gives it that little extra crunch um highly recommend wow all right well now i'm starving who were you in high school (laughs) i was a bully um, I was, yeah, I was a gay, I was a very, I was angry. Um, and mm-hmm. the, I was, hmm, this is so interesting. I was bullied when I was like in young. So like I probably like around fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And somehow that manifested in me and made it so that when I got to seventh, eighth, ninth grade, that. I put on that thing that many queer people do that, that shield. But I think I was a little bit more aggressive about it than most in terms of, I've heard from queer people that it's like, when you attack me, I will, you know, when you bite me, I will bite you back 10 times harder. I think that sometimes I would go out of my way to bite people, which is a really unbecoming characteristic, but was definitely a part of who I was at that time. Um, I think that it just like, I, felt because I started hanging out with like musical theater kids outside of my high school I felt like I had accessed a world that was bigger than my high school which was a wonderful thing in theory but how it manifested itself in me was feeling like I was too good for what I had come from and I think that I just adopted this sort of like diva-ish like very like gay mean girl which is like literally i cringe talking about it right now because it's everything i don't that i'm like if i if i see a character in a a, a film or television series that reminds me of me in my youth i cringe so hard um because i know that type and i know everything that's underneath of all of that because i felt it too and i and i i see the the veneer so i was just like mean it took me a long time mm. to recognize it and then like do the work to like untangle that. Do you remember a moment where where you said, "Oh, this oh, yeah. does not fit me anymore. I need to grow." It was less like a moment. It was definitely in the back end of college because I I stayed on that path into college. I went to NYU for theater school. I went to Tisch School for the Performing Arts, and again, I adopted the attitude of like, "Cause I do theater kids." Theater people, and I say this as a child of the theater, um, theater people make me laugh. Theater people are, you know, I have uh, theater people, like the the Rachel Berry, that that Glee, that that character, that, that does exist. And um, I had this way in which I thought, because I had some proximity to it, I wanted to really hate on it. When in actuality, like, I am more of the Rachel Berry than I ever was willing to acknowledge at the time. But I think somewhere around, like, when I hit 20 was when it just didn't feel good anymore 
I think it took years though. Like, I don't think I got to, I'm 31 now. I don't think it was until like 26, 27 that the work, and I started to really like do the work. I think through my 20s, even out of college, there was still, I think that period was more reconciling, you know, Um, but it just became uncouth and it became like, I I guess this is what I would say. I started hanging out with less people that would put up with that, you know, and and I had more friends that were kind of mirrors, um, excuse me, would hold up mirrors to my behavior. and 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 I think that was when the shift started sort of began. And I think a lot of that had to do with just finding a friend group um I in my mid twenties that I'm still friends with today that kind of put me in my place. Um my best friend, who's still my best friend now, he used to joke with me, he used to tell me to shut up, faggot, all the time. He's gay. Mm-hmm. Um and mm-hmm. I needed that. I needed someone to to not only like take me off of the pedestal that I had built that was like jankily built, you know? Um but uh I needed it to be aggressive because at that time in my life, it, it, the message wasn't either wasn't landing or wouldn't have landed in any other way. Hmm. So cruelty can be helpful. I think it absolutely can be, especially when it's cruelty dealt to a cruel person. Okay. Okay. Surgically, there's some applied. version of punching up happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Evan, you're the best. Truly. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you uh, so highly much. Highly overdue. Oh my God, my pleasure. I'm such a big fan of this podcast. You guys have such great. great guests and I love the conversations on here. And I, can I just say really yeah. fast, Dave, I really yeah. just loved that LA Times article so very oh, thank much. Thank you. I thank thought you very it was much. such a important read and I especially was really eager to like hear from more queer people on the subject of Brittany um, because uh-huh. I think that we have a... I use we, and I know there's there's nuance here, but I just think that like queer people, there's like we queer men. I think that are perpetuators of misogyny, but also sort of put these women on a pedestal. There's like there's there's complexity to how I guess I should be specific here to the way gay men see Britney, and I felt yeah. like you really were able to capture some of that that I thought. I enjoyed the framing Britney doc um, for what it was, but I just, I've always been sort of fascinated by the way that, you know, gay men look at a Britney, look at a Madonna. um, Yeah. And sort of unpacking the ways in which we were her biggest champions and also uh, perpetuators of, you know, everything that she had to endure. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and like to that point, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was able to, to, write that and and I I also think the the documentary was great but I'm now in a position where um I I don't I, I, I we can talk about it here but I don't as more requests come in I don't feel right talking about it because I can't speak to her current situation I don't have anything more to say about what I know about her former situation and and I don't like I am so concerned that the level of concern and love that people have for her is going to lead to another wave of Mm. attention that is damaging to her. Like Mm. if she truly needs Mm. to be left alone right now, then that's what has to happen. And this, you know, like rescue squad squad that's going to like, you know, drop into her, you know, house in Calabasas. It's like, you know, 
maybe 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 the thing is just you know yeah let's talk about the issues around it but then also let's let her take a nap you know yeah i've been thinking about the sort of like the performance of the free britney movement by so many of us and sort of the ways in which people i think can have good intentions around their desire to to want to see the best for her. But I think because of the way social media exists and the way cultural clout is obtained today, I think it can get, I think the ravenousness of the fandom can sometimes people take on their own sort of desire to be um, a figurehead within the free Britney movement in a way Uh that is self-motivated. And so I, I'm interested to see Sort of wrapping this up to our earlier conversation, I'm interested to see once this becomes less of a trending topic as it is now, I'm curious to see where things land once, you know, things uh, temper and I'm interested in sort of like the long, the long game of this conversation. Yeah, same. And that's so well said because you're right. Dave Holmes could try to position himself as one of these figureheads if he wanted to, you know, given his history um, and and credentials when it comes to Britney and MTV and all that stuff. But he doesn't because oh. he's Dave oh, Holmes. Oh, thank That's you. But, but it also, I mean, it's, it, it's nice to have been a part of it, but it also is very strange to like hear from a bajillion people around a thing that is essentially very sad, you know? Absolutely. Um, so I don't know, but but I'm glad that it happened, and I'm glad that it, I'm I'm happy to hear the conversations that it's leading to, and so thank you for thank you for reading totally, thank you for everything, and thank you for being here, and thank you for everything, and um, I, I, everybody who's listening to this already follows you, I'm sure, but if if you don't, uh, you know, I mean, get on it, get the and fuck on it, to What's wrong shut up, Evan. Um. You're the best. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. This was such an honor. 